This morning we want to look at the seventh chapter of Joshua. I wasn't going to, but I think we have time enough, and I want to read the whole 26 verses so that you have it in your mind. There is something that keeps God from hearing us. There is something that causes much trouble to individuals and other people. God has given us a lesson about that here in the seventh chapter of the book of Joshua. It's a story of Achan, the valley of Achor. Achan is known as the troubler of Israel because of what he did and what it caused. We begin reading in verse 1, it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. By that we mean that they acted unfaithfully regarding something that was devoted to something else, as we shall see. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against him? No. Kindled or burned hotly against the children of Israel. All of them. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Aven, on the east side of Bethel. And he spake unto them, saying, Go up and view or spy out the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, uh, for they are but few. In other words, don't weary all the people. We don't need that many. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai smote them or killed of them about 36 men, 30 and 6, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim and smote them in the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted, became as water. Joshua rent or tore his clothes and fell on the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Would to God we had not, or we had been content and dwelt on the other side Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us. Now we don't use that particular term today, environ, surround us, we would simply say round, and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? The Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken the accursed thing, and have also stolen, and dissembled also, or they've deceived, we wouldn't say dissemble today, we would say deceive, and have put it even among their own stuff. 
Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed thing from you. We say accursed. Remember, we're talking about something that's devoted to destruction. It's going to be that way. Then the Lord said, up, sanctify the people, set them apart. Say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you make or take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. The family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerhites. And he brought the family of the Zerhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory unto the Lord God of Israel. Make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels, then I coveted them. He desired them, and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth, that is, the earthen floor, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent. Behold, it was hid in his tent, silver under it. They took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Joshua and all Israel went with him, or with him, took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, they brought them unto the valley of Achor, the valley of troubling, or the trouble. Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned them with fire, after that they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, wherefore the Lord of that place was called, the name of that place was called, the Valley of Achor, unto this day. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We ask you would bless it to our hearts. Help us to understand it. Put upon us those things that thou would have us to know. Give us a hatred, Father, for sin and that which is abominable to you. Enable us to be children who appear to you in the righteousness of Christ. But in our everyday life, we know that we're stained with the things of this world. We know that the flesh is weak. We know that we must confess our sins and forsake them if we're to have fellowship with you. We ask your blessing upon this word in Jesus' name. Amen.
Today there are many people, as you well know, maybe you have done that yourself, who pray to God asking Him to do things or to help them. Now some of them are saved and some are not. But many of those say that God doesn't answer their prayers and that maybe He doesn't care about them. And consequently they go off and do things they shouldn't do. They say they've lost their faith in God. Uh, as much as I like some of the music I have, some of it's unscriptural, and one of it is uh, uh, the Bluegrass Boys, and there's not the Bluegrass Boys, but the, uh, oh, can't think of the name, they have blue in their name too. At any rate, they're singing and they say that they would rather be an outcast on a foreign island, they would rather have other things happen to them than lose their faith in God. We don't lose our faith in God as such. But there are many people who say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. I wanted my mother, my husband, my child to be healed, and he wasn't, or she wasn't, and they died. I wanted God to do this, and he didn't do that. I told God that I needed this, and he didn't give it to me, and consequently, he doesn't either care about me, or some of what I thought was true is not, or what makes a difference anymore. See, humans are very fickle people. Crowds are very fickle people. You remember the same crowd that was praising Jesus and... and uh, wanted to make him king, just a short time later we're there at the crucifixion, urging it on. So we can't go by human emotion. Sometimes there are people who go along because of that and they blame God because of their condition. They say, well, he didn't answer my prayers or do anything for me. Consequently, I'm in the shape I'm in because of God. You must never say that. We most of the time are in the shape that we are in, humanly speaking, because we have done or created that thing or caused it to take place. Now in God's overall plan and promise, uh, providence, he knows what's taking place and he points out to us, he brings us into places that are not pleasant, but he works all things out according to his glory and our good, but it isn't always the way we want them to be. The Bible says in Psalm 66 and verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, if I sin, if I permit iniquity and sin to be in my life, then God will not hear me. Does that mean that God doesn't hear? He hears. He hears everything. He knows everything because he's omniscient. He's omnipresent and so on. He's every place. But that means that he will not answer or do as he would do if it weren't for sin or if it weren't for the fact that that person may not be saved, because the Bible says in John 9.31, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, doeth his will, him he heareth. Does it mean that a person who is doesn't know God, then God doesn't hear them? No, he hears them, but he doesn't do for them or treat them the way that he does his own children. Now I'm sure you've seen movies or read stories back in what was supposed to be the more moral days of films and stories and so on, where someone comes out and, and they say, Lord, you know it's me. They might even take off their hat. And they say, I never pray and I've never asked anything from you, but this one time I want you to heal whoever needs to be healed. I want you to let the dog live, the farm stay, or whatever the case might be. Then they say they're much obliged. And it takes place. In real life, it doesn't work that way. God sometimes does those things, but it's not because he's doing them, that person who has asked, who's not in the right relationship with him. And so consequently, we need to see exactly what the scripture says and be careful 
Our sin doesn't just hurt us. Sometimes it causes tr trouble to others around us. As you see here with the story of Achan. You know, there are times when, uh, uh, don't remember, Trotter. He was a bad alcoholic, became a great preacher. But he was a bad alcoholic. He thought that what he was doing didn't hurt anyone but himself. But it did. It hurt his wife and it hurt his children, it hurt his family. It hurt a lot of people. So sometimes the things that we do, we say, well, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. If I want to do this, I've had lots of young people tell me, if I want to do this, it's my business, and I'm the only one that's involved. That's not true. Other people are involved. Here, the entire nation of Israel was involved just because of what Achan did. God was wroth with the entire nation because he wants to teach us a lesson. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little sin causes a lot of problems. But you know we live in a day and time when men won't preach on sin. It makes people angry. Why is that? Because a lot of times sin is so widely accepted, it's not looked on as sin any longer. Now God does, so we need to be careful with what we do. Does that mean we must never sin? Of course not, we're going to sin. But we need to confess that sin. We need to stay in fellowship with God. And we'll show you that as we go along through this message. Notice that Achan, who disobeyed God deliberately, and notice what happened to him. In verses 1 through 5, the nation of Israel falls. Now, they had just defeated, had a great victory at Jericho. They said, just think about this. That mighty city, we did all the things that God told us. The walls fell down. We conquered it. What great joy and confidence that must have given them in God. Because if God called you or I today out into something like that, and he said, come down here to this walled city, as big as it is, walls 12 feet thick and so on. I want you to march around there. I want you to do this. I want you to do this, this, this. And on the seventh day, do this. And the city will be yours. People today would know this. I, I can't believe that. I can believe the space rangers, and I can believe this and that, but I can't believe that because that's out of the Bible. That's really what they're saying. People wouldn't do that. But God's children did. They did exactly what God told them, and it happened, and they gained some self-confidence. The warning not to take of the accursed thing, the silver, the gold, the brass, the iron, and so on, that I don't have time to go back to now because we can't read that much scripture. We won't get finished with the message. Was to go into the Lord's treasury. Everything seemed to go fine. Now Israel was ready to take a second city of Ai. Uh, I don't have a map and I didn't draw one, but that first victory of Jericho, then they needed to go to Ai and so on and so on. God was going to have them conquer the entire Holy Land it would have been their land if they had done what they were supposed to. And God would have been honored and glorified and we wouldn't have the trouble we're having today. But it's within God's plan and province that that takes place. And so, in verse 2, Joshua said, Will you go down and spy out the land? Look it over, come back and report to me and we'll see what needs to be done. Well, they did. Oh, they said it's a little city. Send up two or three thousand people. We don't need everyone. Now, self-confidence, everybody needs that. I have no self-confidence. I'm praying right up to the time that God has me preach or teach or visit or do whatever it is that he wants me to do. And I don't have much self-confidence. Never did. But we all need that. After you do a job for a certain length of time, you become good at it. Then you have a certain amount of self-confidence. 
but when you first start something you're not sure of, uh, then it's the other way around. But as you have the understanding and the expertise and so on, you have a certain amount of self-confidence. doesn't worry you anymore. Well, Israel was somewhat that way. They said, look what God did. He just brought this city down and, and now we're ready. So the spies came back and they said, send up two or three thousand people. Don't bother anyone else. It's a small city. We can take care of it. They had lots of self-confidence. We don't need all those men. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take it heed, lest he fall. In other words, don't rely on self, but rely on God. If I were to rely on myself to preach, I'd be in trouble. If I relied on myself to study, if I relied on myself to visit, or to speak to people or whatever, I'd be in trouble. I can't do that. I can, but it's fruitless. I don't do much. That's why the Bible says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. There in Ephesians. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Which it says, but who is what it should be strengtheneth me. That's why Christ says, I am the vine. You're the branches. You can't accomplish anything without me. And so on and on through the scripture, it tells us to have strength in God and to do in his might, to conquer in his name and so on. Well, Israel hadn't quite learned that yet, though they were going to. And I would say to the Christians here, Always rely on him in every part of your life. You young folks as well as the older. Rely on every part of your life on him. Be careful of sin. Don't treat yourself. Don't trust yourself. And then you'll find that you will fall instead of trusting the Lord. You have to trust him. You know, these days I've had a lot of people criticize me over the last few months. Uh, other places that you don't know about because I will... They'll want me to do something, and I'll say, well, I need to pray about it, I need to think about it. You get all upset. Can't you just give us a yes or no? Can't you just do this or that? Sometimes I'm afraid to do that. The Lord speaks to me instantly, I can. But I'm worried, I don't want to make a mistake, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. I make enough mistakes as it is. I want God to give me that assurance, or that strength, or whatever it is that I need. Now I'll tell you, in the, in the earlier days, when I first got brave enough to go out and visit. I'd pray and I'd say, Lord, just give me success. And I'd go and I'd do whatever I wanted to do when I knocked on doors. Not so good. I learned as the time went by, Lord, send me where you'd have me to go. Sometimes he gives me a specific place, specific person. Open up an opportunity. He'll do that. He'll do it if you ask it. Now say, let me give or do or say or whatever it is that you want for that particular person. Sometimes God will send you someplace where you just give a word or two of testimony. You plant the seed. You know, you might say something you don't even think is much, but it is. The seeds are planted. Someone else plants a seed. Someone else witnesses and plants a seed. Someone else waters that. Someone reaps the harvest. We're all co-laborers in that respect with God. For those who are without the Lord Jesus Christ, and they trust themselves, they'll always fail, but Jesus won't. The people of this world, I don't remember the exact scripture reference in the Old Testament, but... They're taken in a net. They don't even realize that what they stumble, the world's people don't. They don't have a clue as to what's going on. They think that they're controlling things. I've talked to people now who are having all kinds of problems when it comes to their personal lives. And I can see, just looking at it, what the problem is. Of course, they're without the Lord, most of them. And they have no one to give them understanding. And they're blindly making one mistake after another. And then they will do something else to cover that and so on. And it's just a continual 
problem. Look what happened here at Ava at Ai. They were defeated. In verses 4 and 5, they were only defeated. 36 of the 3,000 were killed. And what was worse, the people of Ai ran Israel's army out and they fled from before them. Well, it's only 36 out of 3,000. Shouldn't have been any. But 36 out of 3,000 is still a lot of people if your husband was one of the 36. If your father, grandfather, uncle, provider, whatever the case might be. And so consequently, something bad happened to Israel. Well, in verses 6 through 9, I want you to notice that sin brings discouragement and embarrassment. There in verse 6, Joshua ran his clothes. He fell down on his face and he laid there with the elders of Israel till evening time came, put dust on his head. Now to lay that long is uncomfortable. There are times, because of other problems now, I don't often kneel to pray. I used to when we first started. Sometimes I will lay down in my study on the floor before the Lord and pray and meditate about that. But as you get older, it gets harder and harder to get up after a few minutes or whatever that takes place. This is an uncomfortable position. Laid there till evening. <clears throat> embarrassed. He say, Lord, what's the problem? Have we done wrong? No. He did what most people do. He said, why have you brought this people over Jordan to the hand of the Amorites to destroy us, Lord? Isn't that what the children of Israel did as they were wandering and all of these things took place? What did they say time and again? Lord, what have we done? We've, we've done something wrong here. Let's get this straightened out. No, they said... Why did you bring us out? Why did you bring us into the wilderness? Why did you permit this? Do you want to kill us? And so on. Well, in verses 7 through 9, God, Joshua asked God why this had happened. Did God want to destroy them after he told them he'd take them, take care of them, and so on? Joshua said, what will everyone think about all this? You know, that's important in some ways today. What will people think? Because of thus and so. You know, I've been in situations, don't have time to mention this morning, where something came up in a congregation or among a group of ministers or whatever, and that came up. Oh, my goodness, we've made this mistake. How could this have happened? Well, we need to cover this up. What will people think? We just can't let people know this. We need to always follow the scripture, no matter how painful it is. Believe me, sometimes it is. But that's what he said. Perhaps that has happened to some of you or to people that you know. You thought God would sometimes do something different in your life, but he didn't. He did something or let something happen that you thought shouldn't happen. I've had that happen in mine. I've had people tell me that in their own lives, and sometimes they were very bitter. They thought it shouldn't have happened. They said, why, Lord, why did you do that? But God assures those that love him that everything in their life is for a purpose. It's for a reason. Now, it's easy for us to quote Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to them who are they called, according to his purpose, the ones that he loves, the one that he's called out. And that's easy because God's giving me this or that and he's helping me. And, but then he does or permits other things to come into our life and it's not so easy. And we have to remember it's for a reason. He's teaching us. He's shaping us. He's molding us. He's giving us something that's better for us and to his glory, even though it may not seem so at that time. I've had that happen many times in my life. 
Sometimes to great sorrow, I thought I wouldn't be able to stand what was taking place. If it weren't for that verse and trusting the Lord, I couldn't. Notice in verses 10 through 15, God showed them the trouble, that little tiny word, sin, S-I-N. You know, there are other applications I don't have time to make this morning out of this lesson or this message. But that little word sin can cause a great deal of trouble. What is sin? Well, the Bible says it's a transgression of the law. It's something that we do in opposition. It contains rebellion, self-centeredness, and so on. It's the opposite or against what God has said or proclaimed or desires. And sin can do a lot. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. I'll tell you, I learned something. For a long time, my wife has had to be gone a lot of times for treatment, sometimes a year, sometimes. And I had to learn to wash and iron. I had to iron back then. Didn't like that very well. Jennifer was just a baby, and I had to go through all of that. I'd rather that she had done. But I learned all that. And I found out that you don't take white clothes, and you've got to watch that you don't have red socks or something else back then in there, because all of a sudden, washing was pink. I don't know if the colors are color fast these days. I hope so. I haven't had to do that for a long time. But that's an example of what sin will do. Take that great big gallon of water like I make iced tea with, that, that pitcher. If I put just a couple of drops of green or blue coloring in there, the whole thing's colored. Sin has that kind of influence. You may take out a chicken at the store. I mean, sometimes they're not so safe, I guess, at the store. Bring it home in the hot weather and let it sit there in the counter for half an hour. And, oh, I should refrigerate it. Put it back in the refrigerator for a little while. Take it out later in the afternoon let it sit another half hour or so. Wash it off and cut it up on a wooden cutting board and get it all set and cook it. And you may become very, very ill because you can't see the salmonella that's in there. It's like sin. You can't always see it. It looks good. Everything's going fine. But it's there and it causes some problem or difficulty for us. That's why God says, you that love the Lord hate sin. You're better off to stay away from it. Can you always see it? Not always. Satan knows how to lay snares. He knows how to try and trick. But he can only do that which was in the realm of God's permission. And then God is doing something to us or for us. He may be chastening us or teaching us or whatever the case might be. And so, in verses 10 through 12, God tells Joshua... Sin caused the defeat and the trouble. That's the problem. There it is. Someone took something they shouldn't have taken. And he tells Joshua there in verse 12 what to do. That's why they couldn't stand before their enemies. He said, neither will I be with you anymore in that respect, except you destroy the accursed thing from among you. You don't do it, I'm not going to be with you, and you won't have success. You won't be able to go on. Verses 13 through 15, God tells Joshua to get all Israel together the next day, to get ready, to go through the sanctifying process that they did, and he would show the one that sinned and caused all the trouble. The punishment for the sinner is severe. There in verse 15, he's to be burnt with fire, and all that he hath, all that he hath, includes more than what most people think when they read that phrase. Aren't you glad that God doesn't treat us as harshly today as he did the children of Israel then? But he does sometimes. We just don't realize that. 
And so consequently, he tells him, and he tells you and I, that sin in our lives will make him not hear us. In Isaiah, I believe it is, 59 and 2, we're told this. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, and he will not hear you or respond to you the way that he normally would. That's always the thing that gives us trouble. The thing is that you and I today have the Holy Spirit and we know when we've done wrong most of the time. We have the prodding of the Spirit. We realize we've done something that's not quite right. We say, well, this is right, but you have that strange feeling about it. And so the Spirit of God moves us to repentance. But there are those who don't have that. There are those who are murderers and rapists and embezzlers and all these other things that fill the world. They have no remorse for the things that they've done. But that iniquity will separate us. What kind of sins would do that? Well, of course, the base, the base thing that keeps you and I living the Christian life as we should is communion with God, prayer in other words, and study of his word and things of God. I'll tell you, when I go away from the study of the word of God, when I have to neglect it sometimes of necessity, which is not true, all I have to do is stop doing some of those things or quit this or whatever. Then I feel that neglect in my life. God tells us that whatever we do, we're to do it heartily as unto him. And that means every single thing. Let me tell you, over in 1 Corinthians, let me read it to you, I'm afraid I'll misquote it. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat, ye, plural, all of you, eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. In other words, do the best that you can, not offending people. But whatever we do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Now some of the work that I've had to do in the last weeks and some of the things that have come up, I thought I'm, I'm too old for that, I can't do that. But I asked the Lord, help me Lord to do it and do it heartily as unto you. So I view the secular work or whatever I do as doing it well as best I can unto him. Whatever I do, well as unto him. Now for those who are without Christ, they can't talk to him or do anything to please him. And they need to know that they need to accept him in order to do that. You see, there are people today in churches and groups and organizations who are not told that they need to be born again, that they receive Jesus Christ, that his shed blood is the thing that washes them clean from sin. And consequently, there are whole groups in Christianity Large portions called Christian who are not Christians. They don't know the Lord. They're not serving God. They're having problems and troubles. The churches are falling apart on the one hand or where there's not a mixed multitude and they're mostly unsafe. They're thriving and everything's going fine. So we need to be careful with that. Romans 8 
and verse 5. What does it tell us? It says, well, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. That's clear enough. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's as simple as that. We're coming into a time when the great apostate church is going to arise during the tribulation time, maybe before. So it's beginning to gather now, I think. We're going to have people who ignore all of that. Don't need that. Our time's getting away from us. Notice in verses 16 through 23, if we don't confess our sin, it will be brought to light by God. How much better to confess immediately to the Lord or to set right whatever it is that's wrong than to wait or to reason things out. I've had people who were in the midst of sin tell me, well, I'm not any worse off than some of the people and they name Christians others. Very unwise to compare ourselves with other people. We need to compare ourselves with the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 31, we read this. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned of the world. If we would judge ourselves, save ourselves a lot of trouble. And as far as comparing ourselves with others, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Listen to it. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Of course not. If I say, well, I'm going to compare myself to so-and-so. Well, I'm a preacher. Uh, he's doing this and this. I do more than that. It's okay. Or a Christian says, well, I'm as good a Christian as anybody else. After all, I, I do this and this. And I'm doing more than those people over there. And it's okay. Here's what we compare ourselves with. Scripture. I have a little tract. I wish I could find more so I could pass it out. Others may, but you cannot. One of the best little tracts I read concerning that. In verses 16 through 19, Israel lined up. God finally pointed out Achan. Why didn't Achan just step out before that and say, hold it, why go through all this? It's me. If we don't do that, then God does do that. And Achan tells the leader and the people his sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It also tells us in Numbers 32, 23, but if he will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. Be sure your sin will find you out. How will it do that? Well, we read to you that God won't hear your prayers and he will not give any help to you in the way that you want it to be done. He will punish sin. He's holy. He cannot stand that. So he did here, and he gave that lesson by finally doing this as we close. Verses 24 through 26, God gives us the remedy for sin. After finding those things that Achan had stolen, that he'd hidden, Joshua and all Israel took Achan to a valley called Achor, the valley of troubling 24 and 25, and what went with him? Everything he had, his children, his animals, all that he had. 
And they took away that which was offensive from the children of Israel. What's the lesson that he's teaching us? A little sin leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little leaven. It's possible. I've seen people begin to let things in their life that ought not to be there, and their effectiveness for God was slowly destroyed. They were slowly in a miserable condition. God permitted through chastening and other things for them to come into a place where they were most unhappy and not in a good state of affairs. This is showing us that we have to get rid of sin in our lives as we see it. That God will not hear us. He will take care of us if we do. But how do we do that? We simply confess it. When you or I make a mistake as a Christian, we confess it. God doesn't say, oh, you've done such a bad thing. Now you're going to pay for this. I've had any number of people, a lot of them lately Lutherans that I've talked to. And they said, well, no matter what you say, we have to atone for our sin. You can't do that. That's why people are in hell for eternity. They can never pay the price. Only Christ can do that. You and I could suffer for eternity and never pay the price. I want to say this. Those who are without Jesus Christ, if they realize that they need him, they need to be saved. They need to confess him. They need to receive him. That's what the people around us today in the condition that they're in need to do. They ask him, need, need to ask him to take control of their life. This is what people want today. They want to control it. We need to ask God to do that. To save them, to take them to the place he's prepared for them. See, neither is there salvation in the other. For there's none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved, the Bible says. So consequently, you and I are trusting in Jesus Christ. The world's not. But when we have problems or troubles or we allow sin in our life, that's when God doesn't begin to hear us. You know, the best thing I was going to say a while ago is that we have the Spirit of God to show us, to teach us, to prod us or not nudge us if we are sinning to convict us. But you know, it wasn't always so. The sinner has a cold heart. He or she doesn't realize what they're doing. One of the saddest examples of God's children that I can think of, and it can happen to us because our, our conscience gets so it's seared like the hot iron, was Samson. The Bible says that finally after all this time, Samson got up to go out as he always did, and he didn't realize the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. People today sometimes don't realize they're not in the right relationship with God as they live in this world and they sin and do the things that they do. Now, does that mean that we're sinless and we know? It means as God shows you and I in our lives the things that we have to change or that we cannot do or be or use or have or whatever the case might be, that we do that. But only through the power of God, through the power of his word, what his word says to us. Father, we commit these words into your hands. Forgive us for our sins and shortcomings. We would not deliberately sin against you. We ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would guide and direct us and help us to be careful. We might not give offense to thee or to those round about us. We might take the lesson of Achan and realize that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little sin seems to gain more and more and cause us more and more trouble. The Bible says, let us lay aside the sin that doth so easily beset us. Run with patience the race that's before us. Ask these things this morning in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Your name's honor and glory. Amen. I want to sing a